Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I keep hearing from our friends in the UK and in Ireland who cannot wait for us to be back. You have no idea how many emails I get every day from the folks who watch the show on Sky Sports pointing out something dumb that you have said. Philip Rivers threw jolly good bombs yesterday. All right. You sound like you're from London. Please. You sound like you're from London. Sound like you're from London. Which one of us said the word that we shouldn't say on English TV? Which one? Don't say it again. That <laughs> fell down okay, over stop there. It. Yeah. We're going to go there at some point. Yes. You don't want the Bobby to be waiting for you to cuff you the moment you get off the plane in the UK. <laughs> That's probably not an ideal way to begin your visit. It's a Thursday edition of Pro Football Talk Live, but more importantly, we are back, baby. Hello, UK. Hello, Ireland. Hello, Sky Sports. It has been a long, long time. So long, I can't even remember how long it's been. Four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, I don't know. All I know is I appreciate all of the emails, all of the tweets, all of the communications we've received from our friends in the UK and in Ireland who were concerned that we were never coming back, who were looking for ways to get the content, and we would try one email at a time, one tweet at a time to let people know where they could find us. But right now, live, no tape delay, live on Sky Sports. It's 12 o'clock London time. It's 7 a.m. in the East, and Chris Sims, Mike Florio here with you for the next two hours. Hello, Chris. How are you? Hey, what's up, man? We're live in London. Big Ben says 12 noon. I I love it. I mean, now that you're back, too, right in your home. I mean, I felt like you were out of, like, sync a little, the fact that you couldn't say hi to the U.K. and Sky Sports every day. So now you got that back. So you good? You feel better now? You happy? Yeah. Okay, good. Almost couldn't say hi, though. (laughs) I know you could. A little bit. (laughs) There was an issue with my microphone that got resolved 30 seconds before we went on the air, but sometimes things just have a way of working out. And let me just say this before we get to what we want to talk about today. Now that, and and for the folks in in the UK and in Ireland who haven't seen the show for the past several weeks, there's no longer a radio component per se, although the show is on Sirius XM 211. 
we're not tied to a radio clock, which means the breaks are very different. There are fewer of them. We have more time to talk. You'll notice that throughout the course of the day. But the big difference for me is I now get up at 6 a.m. instead of 5 a.m. And when I got up at 6 a.m. today, I saw a tweet that Chris posted saying, we're excited to be back on Sky Sports in 30 minutes. And it was posted 30 minutes earlier. And I freaked out. I thought I'd overslept. I had like a 10 to 15 second, holy crap, the show started. And I just woke up. So, Chris, thank you very much for making sure that I was wide awake at 6 a.m. Your math error cleared out all cobwebs instantly. And I really did. I went through that. What in that? Wait, wait, what? A, wait a minute. Was it? Did we have a special starting time today that I forgot about? So, thank you very much for screwing that up by about 60 minutes. It, it scared the hell out of me. Well, I mean, if we're back here pulling the curtain back, you know, well, producer Pete Dimalitalitalitis. He's in charge of, like, sending out those type of tweets right there, non-football stuff. And apparently he can't tell time on the East Coast. So he was a little mixed up, and we're going to blame him for that right now. <laughs> That's what you get. That's what you get when you give other people the keys to your Twitter You're account. Right. Because no matter no what anyone it. else does, it's on you. All right. Yes. A tweet that we posted yesterday that got plenty of traction. And I have no idea whether or not there's any truth to this, but when a guy who is a host on WFAN Radio in New York, one of the most popular local radio stations in the entire country, and the place where Odell Beckham Jr. started his career from 2014 through 2018, when this guy goes on the air, Mark Malusis, and then takes to Twitter and says the same thing, I have to at least pay attention to it. And here's the tweet that... Uh, Got a lot of people riled up yesterday. Sources told me that the Browns and the Vikings are in discussions on a trade that would send Odell Beckham Jr. to the Vikings for a second and fifth round pick next year. Trade is not done, but the deal is being discussed. And look, who the hell knows whether or not the Browns are inclined to trade Odell Beckham Jr., a guy they just picked up from the Giants a year ago? Who knows whether or not the Vikings are inclined to try to add him? I... I'm waiting for the statement from Rick Spielman, Chris, that Odo Beckham Jr. is a Cleveland Brown, just like he told us in February, Stephon Diggs is a Minnesota Viking. I mean, no one's going to come out and admit there's anything to this until it's done, if it ever happens. So it's almost impossible to really peel the onion if there is anything to it. And if there isn't anything to it, the stuff people say is going to be no different than what they say if there is something to it. So we're just kind of stuck here to sit and wait to see whether it happens or whether it doesn't. Yeah, well, you're right. We are. All right, so two things right off the bat. I, I know Mark Malusis. I've worked with him before, The aka the moose, they call him up here. I mean, you're right. First off, the, the place in which he works at, this is not like an attention seeker you know, type of radio host either. I would have think he, thought he got this from somebody credible. You know, this is not a guy that's careless in, in nature that way at all. So, uh, I, I think that deserves some merit, let alone, Mike, you know, again, here's just, I don't know anything either about the situation. I sent out text messages to a few people that, you know, I thought would be, uh, have some inside knowledge on something like this going down, and I got crickets back. I mean, not no responses. So when I usually get that type of response, that usually makes me believe that something is going on, that there is talks, and nobody wants to kind of let it out quite yet. 
Uh, and yes, I mean, I think if the Vikings saw all this news yesterday and everything like that, they might have re released a tweet or some sort of statement saying that's not going to happen. But they didn't do that either. So, yes, I have no inside knowledge right now, but it's very interesting. And, um, you know, it's, it's let's get into the nitty gritty as far as whether we think it makes sense for both teams. Well, from the Vikings perspective, they don't have a whole lot of cap space, although they have managed to add some by virtue of restructurings of contracts like Kirk Cousins that freed up $10 million and they moved on from guys. They traded Stephon Diggs, although that didn't free up a lot of net cap space because they took a cap hit by moving him. Yes, they avoid his salary, but that's offset by the cap charge. I, I, I don't see the Vikings happily adding $14 million in base salary to their overall cap picture this year, especially when you consider this, Chris, Odell Beckham Jr. is going to want a new contract at some point. Last year when he got traded to the Browns, there were some rumblings that he wanted a new deal, and it never happened. He gets traded again. He may want a new deal this time, and how are the Vikings going to do that? How are they going to be able to afford that when they have so much other money allocated to positions like quarterbacks? So I just think from a dollars and cents – I thought your dog didn't bark. I thought from a dollars and cents standpoint – and a cap standpoint, it's a difficult move for the Vikings to pull off. And that's before we even get to, do they want the potential headache that OBJ brings to the team if he's not getting the football as much as he wants it? Well, yeah, I hear you. You're right. I mean, if they make that type of trade, well, first off, with Odell Beckham Jr. last year, we just assumed, really, that he might ask for a new contract because of what Antonio Brown had done uh, in his situation. We thought maybe that's what was going to go down and how Antonio Brown had so much you know, force of nature to make his trade. We thought Odell Beckham Jr. might be able to do the same type of thing. Now, it's very scary. You're right, to the point of if you do trade for Odell Beckham Jr., will he ask for more money? You're going to need somewhat of a wink-wink handshake with him and his agent to say, no, we won't even go down that road, you know, for at least two years or anything like that. You know, you're, 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 you're connecting dots between, hey, Stefan Diggs being a – a little bit of a diva receiver. Do they really want to deal with one with Odell Beckham Jr., you know, who hasn't had the cleanest history as far as being a distraction or non-distraction to his football team? Like, I get that. You're right. I mean, yes, I, I don't know. Do the Vikings want to deal with that? So that I, under, I, that I don't know yet, Mike. But what I will say is this. You know, I'm sure the Vikings – are evaluating the draft boards a little bit and what they might get there in the mid-20s where they pick. And they realize that they have other holes on their roster to fill. And a trade for a wide receiver right now might just take one of those holes away to now they can use that draft pick for another position. Let alone, I think Odell Beckham Jr. on the Minnesota Vikings makes a lot of sense X's and O's wise. Well, and listen, I agree with you. I was on with Paul Allen, the voice of the Vikings, earlier this week, and we were talking about receivers in the draft, and I said, whatever they do, they need somebody who can take the top off the defense, somebody who can keep the safeties honest, somebody who can unclog the middle of that second level for when Dalvin Cook busts through it on a running play. You don't want to have an eighth or a ninth man cheating up into the box to stop him before he turns it into a 20 to 25-yard gain. And if you've got Odo Beckham Jr., You've got that threat. And whether it's going deep and drawing the coverage deep or getting that slant pass and just exploding past everyone, you're going to have to account for him. Maybe even more than you had to account for Stephon Diggs. All due respect to Stephon Diggs. Uh, so I agree with you from that perspective. 
if you can get Odell Beckham Jr. to buy in when you couldn't get Stephon Diggs to buy in to the fact that some weeks we're going to run the ball 40 times and pass it 10 times. Other weeks, the ball's going to be in the air a lot. It just depends week in and week out. Do you have the personalities to get Odell Beckham Jr. to accept that and not have this constant week after week after week narrative of how do we get the ball to OBJ? We got to get the ball to OBJ. And the Vikings franchise has been down that road before with Randy Moss and the stupid Randy ratio. You, You can't force the ball to one player in the passing game. You have to throw it to the open man. And yes. here's the reality. If Dalvin Cook's running the ball like he did last year, there will be plenty of plays when Odell Beckham Jr. is open. We see Kirk Cousins do the little bootleg and the, the rollout and the play action. And Beckham gets open and Cousins is going to get him the ball. Yeah, I mean, you're, I mean, you're right on all. Okay, so yes, he's a lightning rod that way. So you got to feel comfortable with, yes, if you bring Odell Beckham Jr. in, People are going to put him under a microscope. How many times are you throwing the ball? Are you getting it to him enough? Oh, if he didn't get it enough one week, the questions are going to come right away. Are you happy here? You know, you're not getting the ball as much as you'd like. So, you know, there certainly is that aspect of having to deal with Odell Beckham Jr. because he's, you know, arguably one of the two or three most famous guys in the NFL right now uh, on the big stage of things. Now, to the football aspect of it, Mike, you made a lot of good points. Uh, I I totally agree with you. You know, first off, I've heard a lot of people say, well, why would the Vikings want to do this? They're a running football team. Well, you said it. Yes, this is a team that wants to play two running backs, one tight end, two wide receivers. And within that, okay, yes, we know they want to run the football. And a guy like Odell Beckham Jr., hey, I know his stats weren't real sexy last year, but man, did he help out that Cleveland offense and made everybody else look better, even not being 100% healthy. People give him unbelievable attention. And it is no disrespect to Stephon Diggs, who's phenomenal. But he's not Odell Beckham Jr. Odell Beckham Jr. is a game changer. He's a guy that teams really go, man, I'm not so sure I ever want to leave my corner one-on-one with this guy. We almost have to double him every time it's a passing situation. And to what you said, Mike, is spot on. So now, okay, we want to run the ball with Dalvin Cook. Oh, there's Odell Beckham Jr. on one side. They're stealing to the other side. You can have a concept built, built in the offense for a guy like Thielen to run some intricate route. But on the other side, you got Odell, and you just go, okay, if they got two safeties back, all right, we're just going to run the ball to that side because they're going to be short in the, in the box as far as being able to stop people in between the tackles. Oh, it's man-to-man? Hey, we like Odell, man-to-man against anybody. You know, that's really the style of football that Minnesota showed they want to play last year. It's a little simple and old school, but effective nonetheless, especially when you have the right talent to make it work. A a point made by our producer, Pete Demolaitis, Stephon Diggs had 60% of the targets in 2019 that he had in 2018, but he had a career high in receiving yards in 1,130. Look, you get open, and if Cousins has time, he's getting you the ball, and and a couple other points on this. I mean, this is something we could come at from every possible angle. Yes, there's a lot of angles. This question. Here's the thing. Why would it be that someone in New York knows about this? Here's how I think, and people get nervous when we speculate on sources, but I, I think when something like this comes out where you look at it and say, how did that happen? Well, if the Vikings are doing their homework on Odo Beckham Jr. properly, 
they're talking to the Giants, right? At some point, yes. you're calling up the Giants. At some point, somebody with the Giants catches wind of this interest by the Vikings in Odell Beckham Jr. and starts to get maybe some of the other details, and somebody in the New York media hears about it, right? What The Giants have no reason to keep this quiet. The Giants would like to create chaos. The Giants sure. would like the Browns to have an upset Odell Beckham Jr., who's even saltier than he was last year because they're talking about trading him. They want to be able to say, we did the right thing when we moved Odell Beckham Jr., so if they can throw a wrench into the gears, so be it. So it's not all that ridiculous to connect the dots back no, to it's how not, this Mike. got out. And and I had the kind of the same experience you had where I I tried to you know you 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 contact people and you try to get and it's like something's not right here, you know? Like it's just one of those and and especially because you're going to and that's the thing if there was absolutely positively nothing to it whatsoever, the Browns would be the shouting Browns from the came rooftops out. right no now. No doubt. You have right. to you have to because otherwise you lose this guy. You, on no the day doubt. they unveiled their uniforms, an hour before they unveiled the uniforms, this came out. You got to throw water on this immediately if there's nothing to it. If there's something to it, that's a different analysis. Well, Mike, I mean, first off, I think you're a master at connecting dots. You really are. You've proven that to me over the last three years of working together. I know I'm like, you know, I might not have a black belt in connecting dots, but I got like, what's the next one down? The brown belt? You know, I'm, I'm on a brown I belt. I don't even know. <laughs> but either way, I think that's the big point, Mike. That's where I was going to go. If this wasn't real, you're Cleveland. You shut this up yesterday. You don't want to deal with this and have this talk. And now, okay, Odell Beckham Jr. is going to have to hear about this. If he doesn't get traded, this is going to be the number one conversation to start Cleveland Browns training camp. And also, I'll just say this, Mike. You know, I... I don't know. Why would you want to get rid of Odell Beckham Jr. right now if you're the Cleveland Browns? I mean, you know, again, unless he's more of a, a pain in the butt than I realize behind the scenes, you know, I, again, my through my football evaluation, I know his stats won't look as good as what we're accustomed to. But, man, did he do a lot of good for that offense last year because of the attention he received from just about every defense he played week after week. And he wasn't 100%. And if I'm Cleveland and I got Baker Mayfield and this team right now that has plenty of salary cap space and really could be a team where we go, oh, my gosh, they're one of the best teams in the AFC this year because they have that type of talent. I just I wouldn't trade Odell Beckham Jr. unless I got some crazy offer that just blew my doors off. Yeah, two and a five next year isn't what? going to do it. That That's, no. that's not going to do it. Uh, but But who knows? Who knows? Look. I, I personally think there's something there just based on everything I've seen and heard and what we're talking about. Who knows whether or not it goes anywhere, but I feel like there's a little flicker and, and we'll see if that flicker grows over the course of the next week. The draft is coming up obviously a week from today. When we return, college football commissioners talked to the vice president yesterday and, and uh, they had a clear message for him about the return of college sports. More Pro Football Talk Live coming at you right after this. Share your thoughts on if playing college football in empty stadiums is something that you see as part of the equation in the fall. Yeah, it is not for me. Um, I don't know how we reopen our campuses, put students back in dorms and in dining halls, and then say, 
we can't be in a football stadium together. I, I uh, that doesn't feel compatible to me. I'm not sure how you say we're okay with the students engaging on the field, but not fans in the stands. Now, might there be approaches to fans in the stands that are a little different, um, that help ensure safety? Uh, absolutely, but I can't see playing in empty stadiums. Notre Dame Athletic Director Jack Swarbrick yesterday, Lunch Talk Live with Mike Tirico. And Chris, that has been the overriding point that I've tried to make as it relates to college football. You can't have the football without the college. You can't justify the disconnect between the campuses remain closed to any classes or other in-person events, but we're going to go ahead and play football in empty stadiums because we want to make the money that comes from the football. They understand they cannot do that. You can't have the football without the college, so no games until you can open the campuses and have some collection of individuals in the stadium. You may have people spread out. It may look very strange on TV, a checkerboard pattern. We've talked about that possibility in the past. That may be what it takes, but the idea of college football in empty stadiums, that's not happening. NFL, if they have to, they will. College, they're not going to do it without fans. No, I mean, you know, to, to what you're saying, Mike, how can they? I mean, it's first off, it's scholastics first, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're coming dangerously close to exposing themselves here, you know, with some of this conversation I've heard over the last week about, you know, what? What do you want to say? What? No, no, I'm just, you said they're coming dangerously close to exposing themselves, and I'm just thinking that that, well, could, that could be taken a lot of different ways. It could be. You're right. I mean, get your <laughs> mind out of the gutter, okay? Let's just get back <laughs> on football here, okay? But either way, they are coming dangerously close to exposing themselves to showing <laughs> that it's all about the money and the dollars to what you're saying, okay? All right, Mr. Uh, nudie guy you. over there? All right, and then, <laughs> you know, you know, and then Hello, I have... Hello, London. We're back, baby. But then you get into, you know, uh, my man Jack Swarbrick over there at Notre Dame. He understands that. You know, Notre Dame is one of the finest institutions in our country. They're not going to play sports if the kids aren't in school. They are a school and scholastics, you know, they're, they're education first there. And also, you know, the college football, part of it is the pageantry of the band and all the fans and you know, the, the school pride and everything about that. It's different than the NFL that way to where, yes, I don't think it would be as a fun a game to watch without fans. So, yeah, if school's not back in session, I mean, I, I, I'm with uh, Jack. There's no way you can play college football and a lot more moving parts in college football to make it happen than there is in the NFL. And the, the other side of the coin is this. Everybody knows at this point that, the student athletes are more athlete than student. And I understand at some institutions that's not quite the same. And Notre Dame is one that still maintains very high athletic Definitely. standards for anyone who gets in. So and 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 they've maybe suffered for it on on the field over the years. Definitely. But right. But um but most of us get it that college football is a gigantic moneymaker for these colleges. And if you take the cash out of the equation that comes from the TV deals, you're going to wreak havoc on a college's budget. I get that. I understand that. And we all know that. And it's almost like when, when wrestling finally acknowledged to the world that it's fake, nothing really changed. Like, I don't know how big of a deal it would be 
for college football to finally admit to us what we already know and, and, and do whatever they have to do to play those games, even if the campuses aren't open again. I'm not saying that they shouldn't, Chris. I'm saying that, yeah, I got you. that if, it, if it entails, if, if the only barrier is letting us all know what we already know, who cares? Go ahead and do it. I guess that's kind of how I'm looking at it because there is a financial benefit to yeah, playing sure. the games, getting the money on the books, and helping the budgets from imploding at colleges throughout the country. Well, you know, then they're opening that box with my friend Pandora in there, okay, for everybody to use the <laughs> argument once again, okay, of like they're not just – these are not just, uh, you know, uh, these are professionals. They need to be paid money. I'm losing my track of thought or my words there. No, but but, but you're to right. To be compensated, would, it would bolster the argument for the, the scholar athlete to say, see, here you go. We should be being paid some more money – to account for what we're doing for this school financially. I think you're right. It's so tenuous right now, and we see the fire flare up from time to time, whether it's a union drive at Northwestern or just public pressure that periodically right. is placed on the schools, the push for the name, image, and likeness laws in various states. I feel like at this point, college football is just trying to hold off the reckoning as long as possible. And Playing these games with no campuses open, with no fans in the stand, could be the tipping point where once the dust finally settles, you've got everything you need to make the argument that these kids need to be paid. And I personally believe they need to be paid. Everybody else connected to the sport is getting paid, from the president of the university down to the guy or the gal selling popcorn in the stadium. Everybody is getting paid except the people on the field. And you're right. That's that's why they're clinging to this, even though we all know. It just shows you how tenuous it is. We all yeah. know. We all know the disconnect. And we're fine with it for the most part. But the moment you admit it is the moment you end up putting yourself in a position where you got to start cutting checks to these players. All right, we're going to take a break. When we return, our division-by-division division draft previews continue. We focus on the AFC West, home of the defending Super Bowl champions, Kansas City Chiefs, and three other teams. We'll discuss that next here on PFT Live. From step throughout, there's no secret that we need to get better at wideout. We understand that. Um, we really like adding Nelson Aguilar, uh, but we still need to get better at wideout. And, and again, kind of like the corner conversation, I think you got to let it come to you a little bit. And whether it's in the first round, second round, third round, fifth round, uh, I'm, I'm hoping we can find a wideout that fits what the, what the Raiders need and fits our culture. Mike Mayock, general manager of the Raiders, his pre-draft press conference. And look, after the Antonio Brown debacle last year and the havoc it wreaked on the receiver room, obviously the Raiders need help in that area. And all due respect to Nelson Aguilar, that's not the help that they need to get them to where they need to be. So as we look at the AFC West teams, Chris, let's begin with the Las Vegas Raiders. I fear I've already said Oakland at least twice. The Las Vegas Raiders can't leave the 2020 draft without what? Well, I, I think it's I, I got to just echo what he just said. It, it is the wide receiver position. I mean, I can't sit here and like pretend it's anything else. They obviously have other holes on their roster. You know, you could argue, yeah, they could use some more help in the secondary. All right. But the wide receiver, first off, John Gruden, he's an offensive coach. You know, they want to win football games with being able to throw the football effectively and score points. 
and play a certain style of football. How do you really know who Derek Carr is and if he's really your guy unless you put some proper talent around him to be able to evaluate to know whether he's really your guy too? So I would argue that. So this is more about, you know, hey, will they take a receiver at 12? I, I don't know if CD Lamb was on the board. I would be, I would run or text message in as quickly as possible to get. Let's get him in there. But they need more than one receiver too. It's not just, it's just not just one. I wouldn't be shocked if we saw them take one at twelve and then take one again in in the third, fourth round, somewhere in the middle of the draft as well. And remember, it was last week that Eric DeCosta, the Ravens GM, said you could find a starting receiver in round five this year. So. You're right. You can get multiple receivers, see who's on the board at 12. If you're not happy with who's there at 12, see who's there at 19. They don't have a second-round pick, but they do have opportunities later in the draft to bolster that position, and I agree with you. They definitely need to do it, and they, they need to give – before they pull the plug on David on Derek Carr, which they very well may do, they need to at least give him a chance to thrive, like you said. I mean, what great receivers has he really had during his time as the starting quarterback? They thought they had Antonio Brown – we all know how that went down. They need to find somebody who can come in and be that number one option, open up the rest of the offense because everyone's focused on stopping that guy, whoever it may be. All right, the Chiefs, defending Super Bowl champions, cannot leave this draft without what, Chris? I, I think I look at middle linebacker as being the position that pops out the most to me. I mean, certainly, you know, where they sit at 32, you know, my mind and brain like spin a little bit, Mike, and I go, oh, my gosh, if Clyde Edwards-Alaire from LSU was on the board at 32 and they could have a guy like that with Tyree Kill and Kelsey and Watkins going deep, and then you got a guy like Edwards-Alaire working the underneath, I mean, they would be unstoppable. There's a part of me that wants to say that, but I think the linebacker spot is more of a need for this football team, and they might be able to get a, a really quality football player there at pick 32, but nonetheless – at some point during the draft, it has to be a position that, first off, it lacks depth for the Kansas City Chiefs, and there's not really a whole lot of high-end talent there either. They have Anthony Hitchens, but they need another body to go along with him, especially when they've had injuries the last few years. They've had to put Daniel Sorensen in there, who's a third safety, and play him, I think, more than they would like. So I look at that as being a huge spot for them. Run defense has not been one of the strengths of the Kansas City uh, team either the last few years. And a linebacker, I think, would go a long way to helping that out. Last year when LaShawn McCoy was cut by the Bills right at the end of training camp in the preseason when the rosters were reduced to 53, the Chiefs swooped in and added him. He was a disappointment relative to what we'd seen from him in the past. Damian Williams held the starting job. But remember this, Chris, Le'Veon Bell acknowledged that prior to the trade deadline, there were multiple teams inquiring about getting him from the Jets, and one of them was the Chiefs. And we've in the past speculated on what a guy like Le'Veon Bell could do for that Chiefs offense. Holy crap, give him the next two or three Super Bowl trophies if they had a guy like that to complement the passing game. Yeah, I feel like that's 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 what they need. I and hear that's you. What they're looking for, and how much better that offense would be. And I don't want to. I, I guess I am denigrating the skills of Damian Williams. I mean, he had the big touchdown at the end of the Super Bowl that was the dagger for the 49ers. He had a great 90-yard touchdown run against the Vikings that really yeah. helped turn the tie there. A game they were going to lose at home without Patrick Mahomes on the field, but. I feel like that's what they need to make the offense already the best offense in the NFL even better. To be as good as they are offensively without that workhorse running back is amazing. And they, they get – Mike. The, 
any any of the top three or four, Jonathan Taylor, Clyde Edwards, sure. Hunter, any of the top three or four running backs, and one of those guys is going to be there at 32 without question. There's not going to be a run no. on running backs in round one. No, I, I mean, you know my thoughts, Mike. I really think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Jonathan Taylor are the only two first-round talents at the running back position. Mike, you know, I, you might have swayed me, really, there. I was between running back. I mean, that's why I had that long spiel about the running back position. I mean, you make a lot of great points. I really do. It's, I think it's down to those two positions. And, you know, you know, to what you're saying, Mike, I'll bolster your argument for the running back a little bit. You know, hey, we know they're going to win games with their offense. That's how they're built. So why not just strengthen that, too, to a degree and make it just so unstoppable and have so many different weapons coming at you that they really, you know, compromise your football team with the ability to stop them. So, you know, I think there's a lot of merit to that. I just wonder what they'll do with that first pick in the first round. You know, will they do the linebacker there and then maybe get the running back in the second round or vice versa? I think it could be very interesting. But either way, both positions are a need for this team. In Veach We Trust, the guy who discovered Patrick Mahomes gets a little bit of leeway this time around as he decides where to go. The Chargers can't leave the draft without a quarterback. We can agree on that and make quick work of them. Sorry, Chargers fans, but everybody knows they need a quarterback. Is that fair to say? Well, I don't know. I don't agree with that. If you're The Chargers have a top five defense in football. I trying to move football. this thing along a little bit. All right, well, we're not. We're talking football here. <laughs> they need another offensive tackle, I think. I think that's the spot I would look at. You know, they traded away Russell Okung. I know they got Bulaga at right tackle. Uh, but I would say still, I'm not so sure they have their starting franchise left tackle on their football team. They have some guys that can fill in, but I don't know if there's that guy. I think that's probably where I look at it with the Chargers. And Mike, you know my thoughts with the Chargers. If they're going to go with Tyrod Taylor, then go with them. Go try to win this year. Don't waste the number six pick on a quarterback. So what? All of you can get fired out there in L.A. with the Chargers and then somebody else can benefit from the quarterback? That just doesn't make sense to me. They need star power at every position, if possible, yeah. but definitely at quarterback. Tyrod Taylor isn't it. And depending upon who's there at number six, you give Tua a year. But here's the thing. If you're concerned about Tua's health, you're concerned about Cam Newton's health. I mean, they're kind of in that same mess with both guys who would be upgrades over Tyrod Taylor, potentially. All right, Broncos can't leave the draft without what? Well, it's two, two, two spots that really jump out to me. You know, inside linebacker or wide receiver, I think are the two that I look at more than anything to go. They need help at those positions. And, you know, I'm torn because I look at a guy like Vic Fangio, and when he was in Chicago, they drafted Roquan Smith because that's what makes that defense go, those type of players. That's why he drafted Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman when he was in San Francisco as the D coordinator there. So I'm torn here on which way to go. The defense has enough talent, though. I think I'm going to go with the wide receiver position. You got Drew Locke. I think he has special talent. I think you agree with that. You got a guy like Cortland Sutton who's really good, too. And I just think they need one more weapon in that pass game to help out Phillip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon in the run game and everything they do there. And I, w I guess I would lean with the wide receiver more than I do the inside linebacker. I agree with you completely. If you have your franchise guy, and I think they finally have him in Drew Locke, you do what you have to do to help him. And you help him by adding weapons, especially a year like this where there are so many competent receivers in the draft. Although if everybody 
signs on to that and they start taking the receivers, maybe there won't be a starting caliber receiver available for somebody in round five, like Eric DaCosta said last well, week. Well, Mike, right, that's the big break. question, Mike. Oh, I was just going to say, that's the big question. Are, you know, are the receivers going to have a run in the first round? Or there's so many good ones that people will wait and it won't start in the second round. I think it's one of the fascinating things of this draft. All right, the receivers are covered by cornerbacks, and Chris has released his rankings of the top five cover corners in this year's draft. We will unveil them and discuss when PFT Live continues right after this. The Chris Sims Top 5 quarterback prospects for the draft that begins one week from tonight, and there are a lot of people who believe that Jeff Okuda will be the third overall pick in the draft taken by the Detroit Lions, who have traded Darius Slade to the Eagles. Chris has Okuda at number three in his rankings. Chris, defend yourself. Well, I, I don't need to defend myself. You know, people yes, come up do. to me. And, uh, well, yes, I hear people all the time go, well, the consensus says Okuda is the best corner in the draft. Why are you being different? Are you trying to get clicks? Is this just a, you know, big headline? No. First off, I'm more into being right than clicks, all right? So everybody, like, chill out with that crap. All right, two, the consensus isn't always right. The consensus told me Mitchell Trubisky was better than, um, uh, oh, yeah, Patrick Mahomes. Oh, they were wrong, the consensus. So the consensus isn't always right. I really like Jeff Okuda, Mike. He's really talented. What do you want to say? What? What? I, I don't think there was a consensus Trubisky is better than Mahomes. I don't think there was well, a consensus one way or the other. I think the people who loved Mahomes were smart enough to keep their damn mouths shut so, uh, right. so there wasn't a consensus that Mahomes was better. But Mike, you're Trubisky. talking about the consensus of five coaches in football. You're 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 not. And no, the, the consensus right. was that Mitchell Trubisky was the guy. All right, but either way, whatever. We'll argue that on another show. The big thing is Akuda's really good. Don't get me wrong. He really is. My big thing with him, Mike, is he lacks the, just the raw explosiveness for me to sit there and go, oh, he's the best corner in the draft or a top five pick. There is no freaking way I would take Jeff Okuda in the top five. First off, corners that run 4-4-8, they're not, you know, Darrell Revis, whatever, Patrick Peterson, Deion Sanders, Champ Bailey. They don't run 4-4-8. They don't. 4-4-8 is like the time for a great slot corner. And that's where I look at Okuda in a lot of ways and think he's more Chris Harris Jr., where I would say guys like uh, Henderson – A.J. Terrell. A.J. Terrell is like Marshawn Lattimore to me. And Henderson's like a Byron Jones, who's now the highest paid corner in football. So I think they have better special physical raw tools. Akuda's really well coached. He's got great technique. There is a lot to like about him. But his ability to turn and run and turn on the burners is not up to par with Terrell from Clemson or Henderson from Florida. His ability to put his foot in the ground and explode and burst of the football, to me, was not on par with those guys either. So listen, I'm not, you know, I hate this part about talking bad about college kids. I'm not trying to talk bad about this kid. He is a top 15 pick. He's a phenomenal football player. I just don't think he's as physically raw talented as the two guys I got in front of him. So you think there are going to be three corners taken in the top 15, or at least there should be three taken in the top 15, Henderson, Terrell, and Okuda? I think they're that type of talent, yes. Now, whether it shakes out that way or not, you know, I think legitimately you could see all three go in the top 20 for sure. You know, a little bit's dependent on other positions, Mike, as you know, and is there a run and does a team become desperate to get that position because now things didn't unfold the way they thought. But I think they're all worthy of that type of talent. Yes, you know, 
I really look at Terrell and Henderson, Mike. I'm big on if you're going to draft a corner in the top 10 or top 15, I need to be able to line him outside and just go, you cover that dude over there all game long, like a Marlon Humphrey, like a Jalen Ramsey, like a Stephon Gilmore. I'm just not as confident that a guy like Jeff Okuda can do that against the top tier wide receivers in football, the ones who really have two rockets up their butt, right? That How can you run with Odell Beckham Jr. when you run 4-4-8 and guys like Tyreek Hill and Odell and Julio are like 4-3-7, 4-3-5 type of speed guys? So that's where I worry about him a little bit. And I honestly, Mike, I think that's why you're hearing the rumors of Detroit trying to trade out of the number three pick because – I think they realize, why would we take this guy here when we probably got two other guys that are every bit as close or equal to or maybe better than Akuda at the same position, and they have a big need for that position, as we know. What a difference between having the second pick and the third pick in this year's draft. The second pick, you get Chase Young. The third pick, what do you really do? And, you know, Chris, something we were talking about during the break, the fact that Tua Tonga-Vailoa has so many question marks, it hurts the Lions because – if we knew with certainty that Tua was okay, if team doctors could have properly evaluated him, if he could have gone through all the paces and all the boxes had been checked, private workouts, pro day, pre-draft visits, et cetera, and there was a real consensus that Tua is you know, right there behind Joe Burrow, right. the Lions right. would have had a, a much better market for that pick. Now, who's going to come up to number three? Maybe somebody who's trying to get Justin Herbert before the Dolphins get him. But you can go right. up to four. You don't have to go all the way to three to get Justin Herbert before the Dolphins do. Maybe your best play is to squeeze the Dolphins to come up above the four spot where they'd have to worry about somebody jumping them to get Herbert if they really want That's Herbert. That's very real. Very real, Mike. I, I mean, I think that could be a very real conversation because, of course, we got the Chargers sitting there. We don't know what they want to do at the quarterback position. I really look at it, Mike, and, you know, I do. I feel bad for Detroit and the fact that Matt Patricia, Bob Quinn, yeah, they're guys that I worked with, I know. The fact that the Tua, Tua is not healthy and, yes, very unlikely to be a top-five pick, it, it's hurt them more than anybody. There, there's no doubt about that, and that stinks for them. Um, I feel for them. But, yeah, I look at the Tua thing right now, too, Mike, and just go, you know, where does – I would be shocked if he was drafted in the top ten. Shocked. Now, I could see it happening somewhere between 12 and 22, 10 and 22, where now teams are willing to maybe give up some assets and take them there. But, you know, the only team I look at in the top 10 to go maybe they would take to it is the Chargers, right, at six, Mike? I don't envision anybody else doing that. I don't have any inside knowledge there, but maybe the Chargers like to it and are just kind of lying in the weeds. And why are the Lions at number three instead of number two? Well, Washington was three and 13 last year. And the Lions three twelve and one that week one tie when they blew the lead against the Cardinals. Oh. If they had just lost that game. Maybe they'd be <laughs> in the Chase Young spot. Although there would have been a tie between Detroit and Washington that would have had to have been resolved. But look, I, that that that's why I continue to be a firm believer. Once the season's lost, once you know you're not making it to the playoffs, you win by losing games because you get a higher spot. And that one game that you lose instead of win could be the difference between Chase Young and what the hell do we do with this pick now, which is kind of where the Lions are. We're going to take a break. Yeah. A Packers legend passed yesterday. We're going to look back on the career of Hall of Famer Willie Davis when PFT Live continues right after this. Willie Davis, Packers Hall of Famer, passed 
uh, yesterday, and one of the all-time greats, one of the great fixtures on that Packers team of the 60s, all-decade team. Davis made that five-time All-Pro during the 60s, part of the Super Bowl one and two championship teams, and the five-time NFL championship Green Bay Packers, the dominant team of the 1960s. And uh, Willie Davis, um, one, of the, one of the more memorable players. There's so many memorable players on that Packers team of the 60s. But Willie Davis, as memorable as any of those Packers names and faces and just bodies with the arms and the old school and all the pads and everything just going everywhere during those Packers games. The NFL films highlights of those early Packers years, uh, at least in the 60s, rather just tremendous memories, Chris. And we extend our condolences to the Davis family, the Packers, the entire Packer family, his teammates. And there's still plenty of surviving Packers from those uh, those great teams of the 60s. Yeah, I mean, that's a special team. I mean, it's it's a, a team that really bolstered the history of the NFL, really, and gave everybody really something to gravitate towards as far as greatness is concerned in one organization. I mean, they're the Patriots before the Patriots, right? And a guy like Willie Davis is just, you know, another one of those older football players from yesteryear where, you know, we forget about. He's just a legend. And, you know, I was a kid that grew up watching NFL films, and I still sit here and watch Super Bowl memories and do all that type of stuff and sit on the couch with my little boy. And, man, big 87, Willie Davis has that big smile. Mike, I never learned. I really didn't realize until yesterday when I just researched him, I didn't realize he was on the Cleveland Browns the start of his career, too. I mean, two of the premier organizations in all of the NFL at that time, to go from the Browns and then to the Green Bay Packers and be such a huge part of, you know, five championships and two of them being Super Bowls, you know, NFL legend, awesome football player, and certainly seemed like an awesome man. Just any interviews, even the interviews I looked up by yesterday on YouTube on NFL films, awesome guy. And actually spent time after his retirement working with NBC as a commentator when NBC had the AFC package of Sunday afternoon games back in the 70s, back when I first discovered Football. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the, the Packers of the 60s, an awesome bunch. And there's a story out there about the million-dollar fumble. Pete found it in the, in the SI vault. 1966, there was a strip sack of Johnny Unitas. Ball comes out. The Packers win the Western Division title. They make it to the NFL championship game. They go on to win the Super Bowl. And the net bonus for the players because of that was a million dollars that they shared, which back in those days, that's a huge deal. It's like 23 grand each. That's a ton of money in the 60s. So uh, Willie Davis is the one who made that happen by getting the ball away from Johnny Unitas and helping the Packers get to the NFL championship game. All right, we're going to take a quick break. we got another hour of PFD Live still to come. We'll be right back. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also, 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.